and to greet you in Jesus' name. I bring you greetings from, from Guatemala as well. <clears throat> it's good to, to be home and to see all these folks that, that we once knew so well. I think we still know fairly well, but it's good to be reconnecting with, with y'all here. Really appreciated the, the different things that were shared so far and the, the songs that we've sung. There's still something about your native language that speaks to your heart in a way that, that another language doesn't quite. <clears throat> um, I'd like to think this morning about the danger of contentment. And maybe it's not quite properly titled, but I kind of liked it because it it's a word we usually think of as a positive one. Um, the danger of contentment, or maybe we could say a holy dissatisfaction. And what I'm thinking about is the, the danger of becoming, becoming comfortable <coughs> with, with where we are. And we, we kind of touched on this several times this morning already um, about, about living life becoming becoming comfortable or accustomed to the, the way we're living or the level we're living at. Crystal went to Africa many years ago, back before we were married. And one story I remember that she told about the, the Africans was they thought Zoom on a camera was just the most amazing invention. They would chuckle over this thing that you could zoom in and out and bring people closer or push them further away. They said, what will they think of next? Why wouldn't you just walk a little closer? Like, why do you need this, this little Zoom gadget? And we as Americans tend to seek um, easier things, easier ways to do things, better ways to do them, faster, ones that require less effort. And it seems like we're always a bit dissatisfied. There's always something better that we could get, a uh, better way to live. Um, yeah, just over the years, things keep changing, and you see that uh, the level, the standard of living, the things that are necessities change over time. I don't know if you've thought about that. Uh, I remember when we first got a computer, dad and mom, there was probably only a handful of computers, six or seven maybe in the whole church. And now when the power's out, we're not even sure how to communicate because nobody has email. You know, it's... It's almost a necessity now. You're almost required to have this little thing to, to be able to communicate. And I think when I was growing up, there wasn't near the amount of AC that there is here now. I'm pretty sure that I remember hot summer days at home without AC and finally deciding it was getting hot enough that we were going to close the house up and turn on that one window unit and enjoy a little bit of cool. I wonder, do you think heaters were an option on the first cars? They, they didn't come standard that you decided could you stand to be bundled up or not and could you afford to pay the money for, for a heater? And now even um, for young folks, a car is becoming a necessity. And I understand why. You don't have public transportation. And after a while, it's, it's tough to balance schedules and you start needing, start needing a car. And Christ taught contentment. He, he taught that we should be content with, with what we have. But what I want to think about is not that side of contentment. I want to think about spiritual things and our, our level of contentment there and how much different life would be if we'd be as discontent spiritually and always desiring 
always desiring a better level spiritually rather than, than just a better level physically. So the question for us is, what, what is it that satisfies us? What satisfies you and what, what satisfies me? I ran into a quote by a man, let's see here, I don't have his, yeah, Sir James Mackintosh. He was a Scottish statesman, supposedly. I don't really know much about him. I did look him up on Wikipedia just to see a little about this, this man. He lived back or was born in the late 1700s, died in the mid-1800s and um, was interested in revolution, I think, was part of his, his interest. But anyway, he said, it is right to be contented with what we have, but never with what we are. And I'm sure he was talking about the idea of freedom and of liberty and of changing things. Um, that was more his focus probably than his spiritual life. But it's a, it's a good thing for us to think about. It's right to be contented with what we have, and that's what Christ calls us to, but never with, with what we are. I'd like to look at two main stories about satisfaction or contentment. Um, more probably going to be say, more going to be using the word satisfaction rather than contentment in this in this message. I'm assuming that here I go till close to noon, roughly. I hope I can either have enough material or cut enough material or something to end up about there. <clears throat> I'd like to look at Luke 12. This is a story of the, of the rich fool, um, beginning at verse 13. Christ here is teaching about the danger of wealth. And all through this chapter, especially from this point on, he talks about different things about wealth and physical things, um, not needing to worry. He talks about where our treasure is, there our heart be also. Um, different, different things in this, in this um, chapter about wealth. But I'd like us to look here at this, the story of the rich fool. Start at verse 13 and we'll read down through verse 21. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall, these, shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. We'll stop there. Christ continues on talking about um, not needing to worry and how he would provide. But what we're going to look at mainly is this, this story of this, this rich fool. And I know that the main teaching here is Christ is, is warning us about wealth. Uh, he says in verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. Where we, don't, we shouldn't be concerned about heaping things up because life isn't in the abundance of things. And in some ways this man doesn't seem all that foolish by today's standards. So he was thinking about retirement. Sort of the, the idea you get here, he has plenty, and so now he can kick back and he doesn't have to work. 
And isn't that what we all here were supposed to be doing, is saving up for retirement? I'm not sure if it's bad planning or exactly what, but my retirement fund is getting smaller rather than larger. I don't know if that makes me any more holy. It may, may just mean that I'm poorer at budgeting than, than other people. Um, but Christ here is saying that this man is foolish in what he did. And the, the main thing that I'd like us to notice is that this man was very satisfied with what he had. He thought that he had life altogether. And I'm not sure why, it'd be interesting to, to try to study, I didn't dig into it, why he addresses his soul. And it comes out the same in English and in Spanish, it's a, the same word that he's talking to his soul. Soul that has much goods laid up for many years. And why this man addressed his soul, which he should have known was a part of him that was eternal and that needed something more than just things. But this man was satisfied with that. I says, you have plenty, so now we can, we can take it easy. And sort of in there is the message, I'm self-sufficient. I really don't need God. I've, I've got everything together here that I, that I need. And he was called a fool, and I wonder how many of us felt a bit foolish when God reminded us that we weren't exactly self-sufficient this past week either. Um, hopefully we aren't weren't at his shape, but, but God's reminded a bunch of people that it doesn't matter how good your contingency plan is, there are, there are things that God still has his control over that we don't. So the question is, are we fools in the sense that this man was? Um, and this is where I want us to think about discontent. This man was contented. He was satisfied with nothing more than barns full of stuff. And he thought that would, would be sufficient for him. He was aiming too low. He could have wished for a lot more. He could have done a lot more with his stuff instead of just heaping it up. It's pretty easy for us to be in that, that same shape. And I know I come from Guatemala and the standard of living is much lower than, the, than it is here. Same point, I'm living at a much higher standard of living than many of the people around me. So the question is just as applicable to me as it is, is to the rest of you here. Um, am I aiming too low as well? You know, this fool, as rich as he thought he was, the, was, was not really that rich a man. The, the poorest Chinese Christian in prison without food was a whole lot richer than this man was. When you look at the grand scheme of things, he was a, a, very, a very poor man. Now, I don't want this, this message is not all about, about riches. I wanna, wanna look at some other things as well. The, the problem with the fool here was that he was not rich towards God. Um, verse 21 says that, so, he, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I don't think Christ was necessarily condemning the man because of the stuff that he had, but of his, because of his use of it and his attitude towards it. I was trying online to find a list, a, a list of all the countries in the world and their, their average income, just for curiosity's sake, to see where, where we rank. And I couldn't find a complete list. All I could find was like the top 25 or something. Amazingly enough, we are number two instead of number one. I was pretty sure we'd be number one. We are number two. Luxembourg is ahead of us. I know nothing about Luxembourg. I didn't bother by looking it up. 
I think they were 100 bucks more per capita ahead of us. It was a very small amount. But we are, we are rich people, and it's a dangerous thing uh, to, be, to be wealthy. And I know I don't want you all to, to feel like I'm saying that everybody here has never struggled with money. Uh, that's, that's not the case. But we are rich in, in very, very many ways. And it is a very dangerous thing. Um, riches can so quickly get our attention, get our focus. And I think it's, it's one of the things I've always appreciated about, about growing up in Gladys, was that we weren't just the richest. We didn't have the best of everything. And um, I think we're getting richer. I, I think I see, a sh I think I see this, this place getting richer. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something we have to, we have to watch. Like Craig said later on in this, this passage, he said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And in verse 15, beware, beware of covetousness. Somewhere, I didn't look the, the verse up, but in the Old Testament, there's somewhere that it says something about that prosperity brings leanness of soul. I don't remember where that, that um, quote is, and I didn't, didn't go searching for it. Are we satisfied with physical things? That's, that's the question here. Are we... Is our focus so much on physical things that we become satisfied with that and we feel like we've got life altogether when we've got physical things taken care of? If you want some time to do a little study, maybe we should even turn to Luke 6 here. But if you sometimes want to do a little study, um, if you have Power Bible or something you can search with or you can use Strong's, Look up the use of the word rich in the, in the New Testament and look up the, the use of the word poor and see what the connotation is. It's kind of scary. The connotation of rich tends to be negative. It's not always negative, but it tends to be negative. The connotation of poor is almost always positive, whether it's talking about spirit or possessions. Um, and there's not, a, there's not a huge, huge number of uses of the word, but of those two words, but it is interesting to, to look at it. Um, here in Luke 6, verse 20, Christ said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then if you jump down to verse 24, Woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. And remember the story of the rich fool. It's not just that he had riches, but Christ here in, in Luke 6, is he's talking about poor, and there's no mention either in English or, or Spanish of poor in spirit like there is in Matthew. And then he just talks directly to the, to the rich here as well. There's a danger in wealth. There's a danger in physical things. that We can become satisfied with those things and feel comfortable, feel like we've got everything that we need, and forget that there's, there's more to life than that. Riches tend to give us a sense of security, a sense of self-satisfaction, a sense of self-sufficiency. And none of those are true. The security isn't there. The satisfaction really isn't there. And we're not self-sufficient. Somebody read this morning, I don't remember if it was in Sunday school or, or where, the verse that said you can't serve God and man. I think it was Delvin in, in Sunday school maybe read that. Can't serve two, no man can serve two masters. That when we try to pursue Christ and try to pursue physical self-satisfaction and riches, we end up killing our, our spiritual life. 
Alex the last while has been, we, we've been riding different places, visiting different people, and we have a CD on in the car, and it has to stay on because he likes the one song on there. It's the Hallelujah Chorus. Never heard it before we came home, and heard it on this, on this CD, and whenever he gets really tired, that's what he wants to hear. So sometimes we listen to Hallelujah Chorus five, six, seven times until he finally goes to sleep. In that same C CD, which we sometimes listen to more when he's not, you know, not demanding the Hallelujah Chorus, they have the, the song nearer, still nearer. And the one phrase, and it keeps, keeps hitting me, where it says, Give me my Jesus, my Lord crucified. Somehow, somehow hearing things in English keeps hitting my heart. When, when we're clutching at other things instead of Christ, we end up like this, this rich fool being the pauper instead of the, the rich man. But what this song keeps, keeps making me think is, is that truly what satisfies me, what we're satisfied with? Would we, would we really be satisfied with nothing more than, than Christ? I, th I think the truth in my life is that m many times I want Christ to be the most satisfying thing. And yet at the same time, there's many things that I complain about when I don't have them. Or there's many things that I would really think would be nice to have or things that would, would make life, life better. <clears throat> the rich fool here didn't even think about, about Christ, didn't even think about God in his, in his life. He wanted nothing more than what he had, he had heaped up. That's one side of satisfaction or of contentment, is finding our satisfaction, our contentment in, in things. And then there's another story that I'd like to look at, which is also a very familiar story, and that's in, in Luke 18. And maybe this satisfaction is even a little more scary than being satisfied with physical things because it's a little more... What's the word? It's a little tougher to, to identify in ourselves. It's a little easier for it to sneak up on us. In Luke 18 and verse 9, we have the story of the, the Pharisee and the publican. And this is also just a parable of Jesus. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Here we have a man who, well, first of all, in verse 9, we should notice that Christ had a purpose with his story here. He had it aimed at somebody, and that was people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, people that felt like they had everything together. Um, Self-satisfaction, confidence that I am on the right road, 
I'm doing the right things, and I've got it all together. And what's scary about it is that we do want to be on the right road, and we do want to be doing the right things. We, we, we do want to at least be enough together that we're, we're heading towards, towards heaven. But there was something wrong with this man in that he felt like he was doing, he had achieved a certain level. And this achievement of, of this level was what was saving him. Uh, if, you look at, if you look at the Pharisee and you compare him with the publican, Pharisee in verse 11 and verse 12, over and over, he talks about himself. I thank thee. I am not as other men. I fast. I give tithes. And the publican, his focus was on God. He mentions himself as a sinner, but you, you more see him focused on God and what God can do for him rather than what he was doing. The truth of the matter is, there was two men there that were very, very poor. Both of them were poor men spiritually. Maybe, maybe the only difference was that one recognized it and the other one didn't. Uh, the publican knew that he was a needy man. Quite likely, he was not such a good man. Typically, publicans were looked down upon, that they were cheats, and that they were thieves, and that they, they did, did things wrongly. But he recognized his, his need. Santa Rosita and Anjo are in, in lowlands. They're a pretty low area. We're in the, um, kind of down in the base of the Yucatan. Yucatan divides the Gulf of Mexico from the Caribbean. And um, we're, I guess, sort of on the edge of where it starts sloping off. And it's just miles and miles and miles and miles of, of lowlands. And in those lowlands, there's a lot of marshes. In those marshes and swamps, there are places where it is very stinky. You go tromping around, you get into stinky mud and stinky water and um, you know, just smelly places. <clears throat> and I have to think of that when I think about us and, and growth. The water in those places is stagnant and it stinks. And when we stop growing, when we get satisfied with where we are in our Christian lives and we stop growing, we start stinking as well. Maybe not quite as quickly and quite as obviously, but stagnation is something that stinks. And this Pharisee was pretty stinky. I, I can't, Christ talked about Pharisees different times, <clears throat> and he recognized that they were people that were, were stagnant. The, the song that Dad led, uh, Hallelujah, What a Savior, talks about that we are ruined sinners. I don't know if you noticed that in the, I think it was in the first verse there. It says that we are ruined sinners. The, the Son of God came to redeem ruined sinners. <clears throat> Christ also had the encounter with the rich young ruler at one point. And the rich young ruler kind of said the same thing as this Pharisee. When Christ started asking about his life, he said, yep, I've done all those things. He had this list. He, he knew what all he had accomplished. But when it came right down to it, the things that were most costly to him, he wasn't able, wasn't able to give up. He was trusting, just like this Pharisee, trusting in himself, trusting in what he, would, what he had done and in his level of, of spirituality. Christ once said, and you don't have to turn to it, but Christ once said to the Pharisees, he was talking to them about how he was coming 
to, to blind some that were seeing and to make, to make the blind see. And the Pharisees said, are we blind too? And Christ said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. And it seems to me what Christ was saying there is that because they thought they had it all together, because they, they thought they understood everything and were confident that they were good, that actually was their sin. I'd like to think about two things, two ways that we can be satisfied spiritually. And they're, they're, again, we're talking about a danger here. I think Christ wants us to be satisfied in our relationship with him in that there is a satisfaction and joy that, that flows from him. It's not that we have to be constantly feeling like we're failures or dissatisfied with, with life, but yet there should be a yearning for something more in, in our relationship, a yearning for a continued growth. Um, two things I think we can be satisfied, can be satisfied with in a dangerous way spiritually. One is just our, our level of spiritual growth, and that's kind of been what we've ta- talked about up to now um, with this Pharisee and the publican. Um, do you remember Paul had a long list of things that he could have he gloried in or that he could have uh, been confident in? You know, we can kind of do the same thing sometimes, maybe just internally. You know, we're Mennonites. We have certain doctrines. We have doctrines that other groups don't have. And, you know, we're even sort of open-minded. We're, we're willing to listen to, to other things. We're not the most conservative. We're sort of in the middle. And I can look at myself. Here I'm a missionary, so that, that should count for something. I'm pastoring a church. Occasionally, at least, I witness to people. We can kind of create this little list of things and say, you know, I must have gotten to a, to a pretty good level in, in the Christian life. We need to keep on, but it's, we don't have to strive the same way we did to, to start with. And Christ said, blessed are the poor in spirit as well. He didn't just say blessed are the poor. In, in Matthew, he says blessed are the poor in spirit. The idea is blessed are the spiritual paupers. Um, no, one in, no one in heaven is going to walk in and say, I earned my way in. Uh, I think everybody there is going to be walking around recognizing that grace is what got us there. Uh, mercy is the, is the reason that we're, that we're in heaven. Christ, in his, in his message to the churches in, in Revelation, talked to, to Laodicea and um, you want to turn to it, it's Revelation 2 and 3. We'll actually be at 3 first, verse 17. He said to the, this church in, of Laodicea, is that how you pronounce it? I've been pronouncing it in Spanish too long. Um, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They thought they were rich. They thought they didn't need anything. And instead, they were in poverty. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And how sad that they were in that state and didn't even realize that that's the state they were in. And then if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 9, he's talking to the Iglesia, the, Iglesia, the church in Smyrna. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. A completely different 
different type of church there. I'm assuming he's saying that their, their poverty, that they, were, that they were poor physically, but that they were rich spiritually. I think that's what Christ is saying there. <clears throat> A danger of being satisfied with where we're at. I think Christ would call us to recognize our, our real need, to recognize that we're always spiritually needy. It doesn't matter how much we've grown, we're still needy, we're still paupers. Um, can spend all our, all our lives growing and there's still uh, an infinite amount of growth that's, that's still out there. We can continue to grow. I mentioned in men's Sunday school class, Dale Heisey, I listened to a message of his recently and um, he quoted somebody, he said he remembered this from being a boy or being a young man, that somebody had told him this, that Christians, as they mature, as they go through life, sin less and less, but they confess more and more. Um, the idea is that the closer we get to Christ, the more we realize our own imperfections. And the more we grow, actually, the, the more problems we see. And so we're sinning less, the, lo- the, the amount of sin maybe is dropping off, and yet our own, our own imperfection just becomes more and more clear. And my personal experience is that the people I admire most in their Christian lives tend to be the most humble, tend to be the ones that are most, most open and willing to, to admit their own, their own need. It's just a, a challenge to me to, to see people like that. the danger of being satisfied with, with where we're at spiritually. Another danger that we, can, that we, that we face um, in a spiritual satisfaction is being satisfied with just saving ourselves, just, just getting myself to heaven. Um, not so concerned about my brothers in the church, not so concerned about other people. I'm just going to work on my own life. And it's certain that we'll never save anybody else if Christ hasn't saved us. If, if God hasn't done a work in us, we're of no, in no shape to be trying to, to work with other people. The Pharisee in the, the story back in Luke, um, was, not, was not at all thinking about this publican that was standing there beside him, he was not thinking about somehow trying to, to help this, this man. He was only looking at his, own, at his own life. He actually put the publican down. He said, I thank you that I'm not even like this man over here. No concern, no care for, for that, that man at all. And we know that the heart of God is a longing for lost souls, a longing for other people. Um, we, Christ told the story of the, the shepherd that went out on the hillside looking for the, the lost sheep and during, the, during the night, during the cold, trying to find this one sheep that was lost. And that's the heart of God. He's out there looking, caring for, for other souls. In James, we have the um, uh, James exhorting us that faith needs to have works. And he talks about how we need to, to care for our brother physically. And I'm sure, James, if you would kind of, if you'd ask him or if we had a way of, of questioning him, he would say, well, it's equally important that we be caring for him spiritually. We don't just say, poor man, 
hope he encounters God, hope he has a chance, somebody will speak to him about the Lord, and we go our way. The responsibility rests on us to be, to be trying to reach him. I'm impressed with uh, Paul and with Moses, the two men in the, in the Bible that it mentions that they were, would have been willing to give up their own salvation to try to win somebody else. Uh, both of them, it, it's mentioned in the, in the Bible, they would have been willing to surrender, give up their own salvation so that they could win some other souls. Both of them were, were interested in Israel. Are we satisfied just with our own salvation? It's a funny thing. It's, it's really easy for even our, even our attempts at evangelism or other things to start to be just about us. I've noticed that a tendency with, with mission work. You can pretty quickly start thinking about mission work as it being something about you. You're, you, don't, you love the people you work with to a certain extent, but what you're really concerned about is yourself. And that is not the attitude that, that God wants us to have. We can be satisfied just with our own salvation. In the Old Testament, I don't remember which king it was. I don't even remember if it was king of Israel or king of Judah. But there was a, there was a king that he had some problems. He made some bad choices. And God came to him and said, you know, there's going to be judgment coming upon you because of what you've done. I don't remember if he repented or if it was God's, God's message right from the beginning. The upshot of it, at the end of it all, was that the judgment was going to wait until after he had died. It was going to be to some of the others. And the king said, that's great. At least in my day, everything's going to be fine. Didn't seem to, to have any worries about the people after him. His thought was only about himself. We should be wrapping up here, and I still have a little bit to, to talk about. I'd like to look at Philippians 3. Paul's example here, I think, is a good example of somebody who was not, who had a, we should say, had a holy dissatisfaction. He wasn't satisfied with his level of, of Christianity. Not that he felt like he was a lost person or anything, but he was desire, desiring more, striving after more. Philippians 3, and let's start at the end of verse 8. He says, That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm sure Paul is far more, at the time he wrote these, these words, was far more mature than any of us will ever hope to be. I doubt any of us will ever get to, to Paul's level of maturity in his Christian life. But don't you like the way Paul says things here? He says, if by any means, not as though I'd already attained, I count not myself to have apprehended. Uh, Paul speaks here as if it's doubtful that he's going to make it into to heaven. 
It's kind of the idea you get. And I know that's not what Paul means, but what he's saying is he's not putting any confidence in the level that he's at. He's looking on. He's, he wants to achieve more than he already has. He wants to grow to a, to a greater level, a greater relationship with, with Christ. And maybe, a, maybe it's a poor comparison, but I, th- I think it kind of re- illustrates, kind of as a um, demonstration of the, the type of dissatisfaction that the world tends to have with physical things, never quite reaching the point of satisfaction. And Paul here has that, kind of that same idea in um, spiritual things. No matter how much he attains, no matter how much he grows, he's always wishing for more. He always wants to, to have another level. It reminds me of, I don't know if any of you have read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. It's been years and years and years since I read it, but I remember this, this one, one line from The Last Battle. Um, it was in The Last Battle, it's sort of like a scene at the end of the world idea. And then there's actually a picture of heaven afterwards, of his, C.S. Lewis's idea of heaven. And in this, heaven was a, this place that they could go further in and further up. I think this was, that was a phrase, further up and further in. They, would, they were going towards the center of this magical place that was heaven, and the, the further in they went, the larger the place got, and the more there was to see. And it's kind of the idea I get here from Paul, is that you can go further and further and further, and there's always more. There, there's always more that we can see. There's always more growth to be had. Just quickly, satisfaction, spiritual satisfaction or satisfaction with physical things, what it does to us, it blinds us to our own need. And that is one of the biggest dangers of it. Um, we don't realize the need that we have. The rich fool was happy because he had things. He didn't realize his own, his own need. The Pharisee was happy because he was at a spiritual level. He had attained something, and so he didn't think he had need. And both of them were very, very needy. It's the problem with being satisfied with where we're at. And God really doesn't want perfect people. He just wants people that are willing to trust in him. He wants imperfect people, even paupers, that are willing to, to lean on him and, and trust in him instead of being confident in their, in their selves. Satisfaction also gets our eyes on ourselves instead of on Christ. In, in any of the cases that we talked about, they were looking at themselves instead of looking at God. And then the third thing that satisfaction does is that it destroys our desire for growth. Uh, if we feel like we're, we've reached the level, then why grow? We're already there. We, we don't need to continue on. I thought there was a quote uh, that there's a statement about business that one of the enemies of excellence is success or something to that effect. I, never, I searched this a little bit and never, never ran across it exactly, but the idea that if we get good enough, that's okay, we'll stop right there. And that's sort of the idea here with spiritual things as well. To combat this thing of satisfaction, I just want to give us three things uh, very quickly. The first off is love for Christ. I think somebody that genuinely loves Christ and genuinely is seeking him doesn't really have to, to be too concerned about becoming satisfied at some level. Um, 
I think the love for Christ will make us dissatisfied with the, with the rest of life and will keep us, keep us seeking him. Second thing is that we strive to recognize our own need. That we're honest with ourselves about our own weaknesses and our own needs. That we expose ourselves to God's word. I think a lot of times the Bible starts revealing stuff to us that we don't think about. We don't, we, we don't, you hadn't even considered until we start reading. And it's, it's amazing how the Bible can over and over and over speak to us when we read those same verses many, many times and it never touched us before. But to keep, continue exposing ourselves to that perfect standard. Another thing that's, that has challenged me is exposure to other Christians and exposure to other Christians from other places. I went to Central American Ministers Meeting um, in Costa Rica this, this past March, I guess it was, February or March. And I just came back very, very challenged by different people there. Sometimes MAM is a small organization. There's not a lot of missionaries there. We've been there seven years, and we're getting up to being close to some of the older people there now. We've been there the longest, or some of the longest. We're not the longest yet, by any means. And so you can start feeling like you sort of have achieved a, some sort of level of experience and wisdom and you know, that you can, can help these other people out that come along. And then when I went to Central American Ministers meeting, there were some men there that really I started feeling very small beside and very inexperienced beside. Exposing ourselves to other Christians and it can really show us our own need. And the third thing to combat satisfaction is to, to make an effort to grow. Spiritual growth is something that God does in us. It's not something that you do six easy steps and you've grown spiritually. Same time, I think sometimes it's, for us, it's too easy to say that's something nebulous, that it just has to happen, and so there's not really much we can do about it. The rich fool was investing physically, and I think we can invest spiritually. And there's very practical ways you can invest spiritually and, and reap benefits. Um, take time fasting. Take time in memorization. Uh, the last while, I don't even know who, just, who decided to do this, but the last while in, in Santa Rosita, five or six, of, several of the mission girls and a Guatemalan girl and Crystal have been working on memorizing all of First John. And memorization is something that, that speaks to our hearts. And it's not, it's not something that you can say, you memorize a certain amount, you're gonna grow a certain amount. But it is an investment, it's, gonna, it's going to pay off. Invest in prayer, invest in, in studying the Bible. I was blessed by, um, Nathan, I don't know if I had listened, you had, you had left me a copy of Youth Rally. I don't know if I'd listened to it before you left or afterwards, I don't remember. I was blessed by some of the, the messages there from Youth Rally two years ago maybe, on Bible reading. I don't even remember who the speaker was anymore. But he really, really pushed Bible reading. And, um, it's something, it's, it's, again, it's not something you can say, you read a certain amount and you're gonna see a certain amount of growth, but investment in it is going to pay off. It's, I really think spiritual things do work on this principle of sowing and reaping. The more you invest, the more you, the more you receive out of it. I just wanna challenge us that we be people that 
that aren't content, aren't satisfied with, with where we're at spiritually. Not that we're always complaining and always griping and always feeling like we're failures, but at the same time that we be honest about where, who we are and where we are and striving for more. Um, again, that quote from this James McIntosh was, it is right to be content with what we have, never with what we are. Um, in those swamps in Santa Rosita, or around Santa Rosita, there's these pools of stagnant water. <clears throat> but the other day, Crystal and I were coming down river, and we knew there was a little creek that came out of the swamp, and we've gone past it time after time, years and years. We've seen this creek, and we've never gone down it. Finally decided we were going to go down this little creek a ways and see what it was like. And, you know, the swamp has these pools of stagnant water in it places. Start down this creek, and at the very entrance, there was somebody that stuck a stick in, or just a small stick, and you could see it was moving. And you get in further, and you realize there's quite a bit of flow coming out of this little creek. Got in just eight feet or so, and all of a sudden it's crystal clear. See, right down at the bottom, there's, it was swamp mud on the bottom, but it was perfectly clear water. And further back in, we went in, I don't know, three or 400 yards maybe. And further back in, there was a spot where water was just, you could see it rippling the top of the, the water. There was, had to be a spring right underneath. It was just pushing water up. A little further, there was water coming out of the side of this, this swamp. I don't understand how it works. It would be interesting to know geologically how this is that water at swamp level can all of a sudden come boiling out of the, out of the ground. Right in the middle of this, um, this swamp with stagnant water, there was something that was connected to a source that was producing something um, clear and beautiful and, and, and perfect. And there was, there was movement there. That's what was keeping it all clean, the, the pressure coming out. And I think this, that it's something we can apply to our lives is that God wants movement. He wants growth. He wants, wants life in us. And that's what creates the beauty. The, the water can be stagnant or the water can be beautiful. And it's, it comes from being connected to the source and, and the, um, the growth and the, the flow through us. Thanks for your time. I'm sorry I went just a bit over. I think Gerald is going to close after a song. Is that right? Yeah.